Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Big things are happening at Collective this fall, and we'd love for you to be a part of them. Join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at 5103 Pegasus Court for church that doesn't feel like your typical church. We hope to see you there. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Last year on Halloween, I made the statement that candy corn is a garbage candy. And somehow this ended up being, of all the things I've said, the most controversial. Uh, I've never been talked to more on a Sunday than that Sunday. I've never been tagged more on social media. My wedding, I didn't get tagged as much as I did last year. Um, And so this year I decided that I was gonna double down a little bit on my candy corn theory. So um, candy corn is still the worst candy that's ever been invented. I don't care if you disagree. I don't care if you don't think it's the worst candy. You have to stare at this for the next 30 minutes. Like, I think we can all agree. Candy corn sucks, right? Why would you eat candy corn when you can have a Reese's or a Milky Way or a pile of dirt? All things that taste better than candy corn. And you can talk to me about it after service. I don't care. You have to keep looking at my shirt this entire time. All right. Now that I got you all riled up a little bit, I do have some really huge news to share before we get started today. Uh, We found out this week that the final inspection for our new collective kids space is tomorrow. Yes, it's huge. So this means as long as we pass, which we should, our grand opening for our new collective kids is next Sunday. Yeah, it happened so fast. And let me just say that this space is incredible. Um, The nursery is twice as big because married people at Collective can't keep their hands off of each other and won't stop having babies. Our K through fifth space is twice as big and twice as cool. I'm not going to spoil any of it. We had some students who were here this week. They got to check it out, and they loved it. There's a room designed just for fourth and fifth graders which is a huge deal because our fourth and fifth graders need their own space to talk about faith and what is going on in their lives. Right right now, fourth and fifth graders are experiencing and hearing about very real and very adult things. And at Collective, we've decided that uh, we're going to be on the defensive on that. Instead of doing what a lot of people, a lot of families, a lot of churches do, and you wait till they get to middle school, wait till they get to high school to try to start talking to them about real things, we're going to start doing that with fourth and fifth graders. We're going to talk to them about what is God's truth look like. Right? What does it look like to experience his grace? What does it look like to follow him in your life? And we're going to start that uh, a lot sooner than a lot of people want to do or are willing to do because we don't want to be pro- or reactive. We want to be proactive. Um, this space will also be where our youth collective meets on Wednesday nights and elevate everything we do for our middle and high schoolers. And I know that I'm biased, right? That's obvious. Um, but there isn't going to be a better space for your kids or students than what the collective kids team and the staff are currently doing over there. It's going to be incredible. Now, with the opening of this new space, there are going to be a few big changes that come with it. And so I just want to talk about those for a second, starting with parking. Um, With the expansion, this means that we get access to 40 more parking spots behind the building. And along with that comes a back entrance that you can enter that's actually right on that corner. You can walk through that entrance, and it leads you right in between collective kids and the lobby. And so if you are a parent, if you have kids, this is going to be one of the best places for you to park. If the front lot fills up, we encourage you to just swing around back and park there because it'll lead you right in 
to collective kids and right in to check in. Now, if you don't have kids, you can still park back there, but we're encouraging you and asking you, try front lot first and then do overflow in order to make this easier on the whole dynamic of Sunday morning. Uh, over the next few weeks, our parking team is going to be kind of adjusting and fixing things on the fly. We're not doing practice Sundays. We're just going right into it. And so we just ask that you guys are patient with them and you help them as they figure out what is the best way to make parking smooth and easy at Collective every single week. Another change that we're having is that Collective Kids will have a new front entrance. Right now, it's covered up by the beautiful plastic tarp in the corner there. But once we take that down, Collective Kids actually has a new double door entrance that leads right into check-in, right to where they want to be. And so if you've got kids, this is going to be the best place for you to enter. And the main reason why we're telling this to you is because that far door all the way down there that was the Collective Kid entrance, it's going to be locked on Sundays. And so if you start pulling on that door, we're not answering it, okay? Walk down a little bit further, enter through these doors or enter through those doors over there. If you park in the back, you have the back entrance um, that can take you right to where you need to go. Uh, next week, there'll be Collective Kids flags. I'll help you navigate this. We know it's going to be a little bit messy for the next few weeks, uh, but we just want to let you know, hey, things are changing, especially if you have kids showing up next week prepared for that. And the last big change for next Sunday is that our parent care room, um, which used to be back in that corner, we knocked the wall down, we put the tarp up, no parent care room for the past few weeks. We are moving the parent care room into Collective Kids. And so the parent care room is a space that we designed, especially for parents of newborns who aren't quite ready to check them into Collective Kids, um, but also understand that the auditorium, this space isn't the best for babies or even elementary age kids, right? We talk about real things in here, they talk about different things over there. And so the parent care room was designed for that. And so next week, you can walk out those double doors or walk through the lobby, and the entrance is right by Collective Kids Check-In. The check-in team will help you get situated and set up uh, in that new space. And so um, next Sunday is going to be a huge day for us. And it really is a big step into the future. Um, and so I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody who's helped us get to this point. Because we couldn't have gotten to this point without the Collective Kids team um, that serves tirelessly, that grinds you know, all the time to make sure that that space isn't just good, but amazing for our birth through fifth graders. And we couldn't have done this without the generosity of those of you who gave to the All In offering this summer. We couldn't have done this without parents who are choosing to make Sunday mornings and church a priority. Um, it is hard to get your kids dressed and out of bed and here uh, semi on time, um, but you're doing the right thing. And you're leaning into that, and so we want to lean in with you and create an even better space for them. And we couldn't have done this without a team of people who work every single Sunday to make sure that this is a space where people, you know, birth through however old can experience Jesus uh, in real and refreshing ways. So here's what I want to do. Um, I just want to take a quick moment to pray for that space and what God's going to do with that space over the next few years, um, because we know he can do more than what we ask or imagine. So will you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much. Um, for pushing us, really. God, thank you for um, really challenging us as a church and as a community um, to not just settle uh, on what works, but um, to really, really open up space and open up opportunities, open up doors to see what you can really do uh, in this community, in this city, in this church. So God, as we get ready to open up the new collective kids space, the new youth collective space, um, God, we pray that you do incredible things back there. God, you've already done so many big things in this church. You've done way more than what we ever imagined you could do. Um, but God, we, we recognize that you can do more and you want to do more. Um, and you are asking us uh, to do the hard work, to dig a ditch, um, so that you can show up 
Um, so you can fill it up and you can do way more than anything we could dream of. And so God, ultimately, that's what we pray for. Um, God, we know it's not selfish to ask for those things because you tell us to ask for those things. So God, we're so excited about what the next few years look like. Um, God, we pray for the students and the kids who will walk through that space and really the, the kids who will begin to wrestle with uh, faith and, and trusting you. And um, God, we know that lives will be changed um, over there and, uh, and, and, and families will change and generations of people will change because of the work you're doing uh, in that space. God, we thank you and we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So every year in the Chumbivilcas province of Peru, they host a Christmastime festival called Takanaqui. So high up in the Andes Mountains in the well-known Cusco region, communities get together for celebrations involving music, dancing, drinking, eating, and brightly colored costumes. And there's one more thing, fist fighting. Yep, you heard that right. Every year on Christmas Day, the entire town gets together to watch members of the community fight each other. This is a very real thing. And people of all ages enter the ring, men and women, young and elderly. And the purpose of Takanaqui is for people to settle grievances that have built up over the year. Per their own words, the festival seeks to resolve conflict, strengthen community bonds, and to help people arrive at a greater peace with one another. And I don't know about you, but I think this sounds great. This is incredible. Right? How many of you have been sitting at the dinner table at Thanksgiving when that one uncle decides to switch conversation from debating the best Christmas song of all time to debating politics? Right? You know the uncle I'm talking about. Honestly, some of you are that uncle, right? the one that shows up late every year, and some, every year and somehow is always a little tipsy. It's the one who brings a new date to every Thanksgiving dinner, even though Thanksgiving dinner isn't a plus one. It's the one that derails all the fun and good cheer and turns dinner into a tense argument that not even comfort food can fix. Right? And how many of you have stared at that uncle and thought, I really want to punch him in the throat right now? <laughs> or how about this? How many of you have done a Christmas gift exchange with your siblings where the rules are don't spend more than $10? And then everybody did. And at first you were embarrassed because the scarf you bought didn't compare to the air fryer that they bought. But then you realize you shouldn't feel bad about following the rules, and you begin to daydream about round kick, uh, roundhouse kicking them in the face, Chuck Norris style, and taking them all out at one time, right? Anyone have those thoughts before? You can admit it. It's okay. Like, I can't be the only one who thinks Christmas Fight Club would be a great tradition for my family. Here's the problem, though. We can't fist fight our family. I mean, we can. We just know that it's not actually a good idea. And because we don't celebrate Takanaki, we are starting this series today called My Dysfunctional Family that's all about managing some of the difficult family situations that we run into every holiday season. And yes, the timing of this is very, very intentional because over the next few months, many of us are going to spend time with our family, with our siblings and our parents and our uncles, all of it. And so what we want to do is we want to equip you not just to survive the holidays, but to thrive. And so if your family is a normal family and has dysfunction, what I really want to encourage you over the next few weeks is take good notes. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into topics like what do we do with all the drama that comes with family at the holidays? And we're going to talk about how do we deal with our parents and the underlying frustrations and tension that we might feel toward them that seems to hit a little bit harder during this time of year. We're going to talk about how do we make sure if we have kids that they don't grow up to feel those same tensions, those same frustrations that we feel. We're going to talk about how to not sacrifice our marriages and our friendships on the altar of holiday stress. And what we're going to do 
So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible. This comes from a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And in this letter, he talks a lot about family. He talks about marriage. He talks about relationships. And he does that because it's clear that the people in Ephesus were struggling with this. I've always been told that during the time that Paul wrote this letter, Ephesus was a city that was a lot like Washington, D.C., Ephesus was the capital city of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. It was a center, like a significant center for business and commerce and trade. It had roads that connected to Ephesus all the way out to all the other major cities in the region. This was a big deal. This was a major city. And the reason why this context is important to us is that Paul was writing to a church full of people who were busy people who lived in one of the most influential places in the world at the time, people who had to deal with traffic and travel and business and the stress of life. Ultimately, he was writing this letter to people who were just like us. But before we start reading in the book of Ephesians, let's talk about family. There are two things that are completely and always true when it comes to family. The first is this, all families have dysfunction, right? Can I get an amen to that? All families have dysfunction. No one is exempt from that. Uh, All families have some kind of baggage. They have some kind of unspoken tension, some kind of interpersonal drama. All families have experienced divorce or loss or abandonment or estrangement or fracturing. As long as there have been families, there has been dysfunction. In the Bible, it starts in the beginning with Cain and Abel. These are the sons of Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel because he's jealous of his brother, Noah, the guy who built the ark. In Genesis 9, it says he got drunk and he was found naked in his tent and his sons had to cover him up. Talk about trauma. In Genesis 37, Joseph, he gets this beautiful coat from his fathers and his siblings are so jealous that they sell him into slavery. Right? Family dysfunction is normal. And that's just the first book of the Bible. So if you keep reading it, it's just all about dysfunction. As long as there have been families... There has been dysfunction. And I would even argue that Jesus had a dysfunctional family. We know that he had a blended family. Jesus had half-siblings. After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary went on to have more kids. And you just know that this caused problems. Like Jesus was literally perfect. Imagine having to compete with that, right? Some of you struggle with a sibling that seems perfect. Jesus was perfect. Mary's like, why can't you be more like your brother? It's like, well, he's the savior, so you know, that's tough. But also, as we read the Bible, one thing that we learn is after Jesus becomes a teenager, there aren't any more references to Joseph, ultimately his stepfather. And so most people believe that at some point in his teenage years, Joseph had passed away. And so many people, including myself, believe that Jesus and his siblings were raised through their teenage years by Mary, who was a single mom. And check this out. In Matthew 12, Jesus is teaching and healing people at the synagogue, and a large crowd is gathered inside and out. And Matthew writes this, starting in verse 46. It says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One thing that we know is at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus' siblings didn't think that he was the Son of God. In fact, most scholars believe that Mary originally had doubts that Jesus was the Son of God, and she was the one who gave birth to him as a virgin. And when we read in this story, what we read is that tension is real. 
right? That, that stress in their family is real. I mean, imagine doing this to your own family at Christmas, right? They show up for Christmas Eve, and they're standing outside, and they're knocking on the door, and you're like, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? That wouldn't go well. Now, one thing that we do know when it comes to Jesus' family, uh, eventually later they do believe. Um, when he ended up being crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead, it says that uh, they were there, they saw it, they experienced it. His brother James ends up writing the book of James in the Bible, which is one of the best books that you can read in the New Testament. But, but here's the point. All families have dysfunction. They do. And you don't need to be embarrassed about that. You don't need to feel shame because of that. You don't need to hide that. Dysfunction is normal. But here's the second thing about family that is completely and always true. You cannot change your family, but you can change how you deal with them. Right? You cannot change your family. Some of you, that's all you ever try to do is you just try to change them, help them think differently, do things differently, and ultimately it falls short, right? Makes you frustrated. You cannot change your family, but you can change how you deal with them. You cannot change the grandma who constantly asks invasive questions about when you're going to get married or have children. You cannot change the overbearing parents who try to tell you to raise your kids the same way they raised you, all the while saying, just look at you. You turned out just fine. Meanwhile, you're driving home from therapy, right? You cannot change the sibling who gets offended by everything, so you have to walk on eggshells around them all the time. You cannot change your cousins whose children misbehave and don't understand what personal space is. You cannot change your family, but you can change how you deal with them. Now, let me just say this really quickly, though. If you are sitting here and you're thinking about these things and you're going, my family doesn't have any dysfunction, no one does anything like that, chances are you are the person that brings the dysfunction. (laughs) I'm just being honest. The only person who thinks they don't have a dysfunctional family is the one causing the dysfunction. And so if that's you, I don't really have anything for you today outside of this, just stop. Okay, if you were the person bringing chaos into your family, just stop. No, we don't wanna talk about politics while eating pumpkin pie. Nobody wants your unsolicited advice about dating, money, raising kids, or the housing market. Nobody wants to have to tiptoe around you because everything hurts your feelings. Not everything is offensive, okay? So if you are that person, just stop. That's your takeaway. You can leave and go get some candy. For those of us who don't cause the dysfunction, we're gonna continue. So in light of this idea that all families are dysfunctional, in light of the fact that we can't change our family, but we can change how we deal with them, what do we do? Because we know that drama is right around the corner. Right? Holidays are right around the corner. I don't know how many of you got Starbucks this morning. Did you open up the app? It's Christmas on there, okay? Whether we want it to be or not, the holidays are here, and drama is right next door. So what do we do? Here's the first thing to write down. This is kind of the big picture topic for today. To thrive during this holiday season, we need to set healthy boundaries. We need to set healthy boundaries. In the physical world, boundaries are easy to see. Physical boundaries are used to keep people safe. They're used to guide people in the right direction. They stop people from entering space they aren't allowed to enter. Think about a home. We use boundaries to create visible property lines to distinguish the land that people own from the land that they don't. Fences, signs, walls, moats with alligators, all types of physical boundaries. And even though they do not look the same, they give the same message. This is where my property begins. And the owner of that property is legally responsible for what happens on their property. Non-owners are not responsible for the property. And personal boundaries are similar. They are the limits that we set with other people. 
They're the lines we draw for ourselves saying, do not cross this point. Personal boundaries define what is me and what is not me. Personal boundaries tell me where I end and someone else begins. Personal boundaries show me what I am responsible for and what I am not responsible for. And here's what healthy boundaries are not, because sometimes we get confused about this. Healthy boundaries are not walls. Putting up walls and blocking people out is just as unhealthy as having no boundaries at all. Henry Cloud is an author. He actually writes a book called Boundaries. And so if you struggle with boundaries, go on Amazon, buy that book today. But in his book called Boundaries, he says that boundaries need to have gates that allow the good in and push the bad out. And so our boundaries can't just be walls. We have to allow good things and continue to allow good things into our life while pushing out the negative and the bad things. Healthy boundaries are not selfish. Dr. Brene Brown says that boundaries are a function of self-respect. And so we set healthy boundaries because we care about our mental and emotional and spiritual health. Healthy boundaries are also not hurtful. I'm going to say that again because some of us need to hear that. Healthy boundaries are not hurtful. If your boundaries hurt other people, it's because they have boundary issues, right? And we know that and we feel that because we try to put them up and there's an offense and then we start pushing that boundary a little bit closer to them, a little bit closer to them. It's because they have boundary issues. They do not hurt other people. And if they do, that's on them, not on you. So we need to set healthy boundaries. And the thing is, this is true about every aspect of our life, right? This is true when it comes to students that are in school, it comes to relationships, our career. We always need to have healthy boundaries. But this is especially true when it comes to our families. And the reason why is because the boundary between me and my family gets blurred, Right? The, the space that is, this is mine, and the space that this is yours, oftentimes people cross over those spaces or push into those boundaries because it's family. Right? Because there are times when those boundaries have shifted or were very involved or less involved. And so because of that, we need to talk about this. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time today. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, because Paul writes a really great guide for the healthy boundaries that we need in our lives. This is what he writes, starting in verse 15. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. This summer, we did a series called Pro Tip that was based on the wisdom we read in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. And so if you saw that or, or heard that, and that sounds familiar, that's why, because we read a lot about this this summer. And in that series, we learned that the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And we learned that foolishness always leads to pain to destruction, right, to brokenness. And so what Paul is doing is he's quoting Proverbs. He's saying, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. So here's the first thing to write down about boundaries. Healthy boundaries protect us from pain. That's what healthy boundaries do. Healthy boundaries help us live a careful life. They help us avoid foolish mistakes and the pain that comes with those mistakes. Did you all hear this summer uh, about the 23-year-old guy from Maryland who had to be rescued after falling into the crater of Mount Vesuvius in Italy? It's, he lived, by the way. Let's just start there, okay, before you feel all tense about it. Um, but this is a true story. A guy named Philip Carroll was visiting this famed volcano, um, which is notorious for destroying the entire Roman city of Pompeii. And as he was hiking up Vesuvius, he saw a trail that was blocked by a gate and a sign saying, no access. And so he did the wise thing, and he ignored it. Idiot. And so he took this forbidden path to the top of this, uh, this mountain, a volcano, 4,000 feet high. And once he got to the top, he decided, what a beautiful view. 
I want to take a selfie. And so, yep, he grabbed his phone, he turned around, he dropped his phone into the crater and thought, well, I got to get my phone. So he jumped in after it and began to slip and fall. Thankfully, he was stopped, pretty serious injuries, but he didn't die. Uh, I don't think the volcano is active, so it was like borderline. But the thing is, people had to come and rescue him from this volcano, right? And when they, brought, when they got him, they pulled him out, they said, didn't you see the sign, right? Didn't you see the gate that said, do not go this way? There was a boundary that was put up to keep him and other people out of danger, and he ignored it. And because of that, he almost died, right? Our boundaries do the same thing. They protect us from pain. You set a boundary, so when your uncle starts talking about politics, you step out of the room so it doesn't ruin your night. Even though your mom thinks you should be at home for Christmas morning, you set a boundary and you say no so that you can start traditions with your own family. You don't miss out on those special moments with your own kids. You set a boundary. You tell your family that you're coming to collective for Christmas Eve instead of another Catholic mass that leaves you feeling empty and frustrated when you get home. Right? Boundaries protect us from pain from anger, from sadness, from ending up in the car screaming while you drive home or taking it out on your spouse or your kids or your friends or leaving you feeling more stressed when you arrived. We have to set healthy boundaries. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And the phrase make the most of, this, of every opportunity literally translates to this phrase, redeem the time. And what he's saying is, is don't waste your time. Use every moment to your benefit. Use the time you have wisely because it's limited. And so here's the second thing to write down about boundaries. Healthy boundaries show what we value. Ultimately, boundaries are a stewardship issue. Stewardship is the idea of taking care of something that has value to us. And some of us have bad boundaries because we don't actually value our time. Right? We don't value it. Or maybe we don't value our relationships or our mental health, or our emotional health, our spiritual health, our joy, right? We don't value our progress and our growth. And because we don't value things in life like we should, we let people walk all over them. Your time is a gift, right? We have a limited amount of it. It is a gift. Your relationships are a gift, your mental, emotional, and spiritual health are a gift. Your holiday traditions with your friends and family are a gift. Your time off work and your rest is a gift. And you see where I'm going with this? Bad boundaries are a symptom of bad stewardship, of us not valuing the things in our life that matter the most. And I know some of you are arguing with me right now in your head, and you're saying, I, I don't value my family drama more than I do my kids. I don't value my parents' desires more than I do my own. I don't value ignoring my own physical, mental, and spiritual needs over other people's. And maybe that's not what you mean to do, but your boundaries say otherwise. When it comes to our boundaries, we need to evaluate what matters to us because what we value gets our time. It gets our effort. It gets our energy. And then Paul says this in verse 17. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And so the third thing about boundaries to write down is this. Healthy boundaries take work. Right? They take thought. They take effort. Healthy boundaries do not come naturally. Families don't sit around and have open and honest discussion about what is best for everyone in order to make it all work for the holidays. What do they do? They make plans and they make assumptions. That's what families do. 
So we have to put in the work to create boundaries in our lives. Our families aren't going to do it for us. We have to communicate our boundaries clearly to our family. One of the reasons we have so much family drama at the holidays is because we are afraid to hurt other people's feelings. So instead of saying no, instead of saying, hey, we can't do that, instead of saying, hey, this isn't what's best for my family, we say things like, we'll try to make it work. I'll try to move some stuff around. I'll see if somebody else can make some changes. Instead of saying, I don't want to do that, we say, hey, well, if that's what everybody else wants to do, we'll, we'll figure it out. So one of the things we have to do to make, it, to, work, to make boundaries is we have to communicate clearly what our plans are, what we want to be a part of, what we can make work, when we're going to leave. Uh, author Brene Brown says that clear is kind. Right? Your clear boundaries are better for your family than your unclear boundaries. Another thing we have to do to work, to evalu- uh, to work for our boundaries is we have to evaluate them. Henry Cloud says that one of the biggest mistakes we make about boundaries is that we think they're permanent. But boundaries change as we change. When Ray and I were first married, uh, we realized we couldn't do Thanksgiving and Christmas with both families because of the distance. Um, So we did what a lot of people do, and we said, okay, Christmas at one place, Thanksgiving at the other, and the next year we would switch. And we did this for about six or seven years, and it worked really well for a long time. Um, and while it was tough on both sides of the family, right, they both wanted us to be home for both holidays, we communicated that clearly, and they understood, and it went really, really well. But then our life changed. We had a lease. We moved to Frederick. We started this church. But what we didn't do was we didn't evaluate our boundaries. And in 2017, after our Christmas Eve services that day, um, December 24th, Ray and I put our newborn in the car and we drove six and a half hours to her parents' house because it was their year. And some of you know what this is like. It's awful. It's terrible. You guys, a lot of you know, you, you finish work and your parents expect you to drive all the way over there with kids, which only makes it more complicated. And so the whole time we were down there, I was angry and I was grumpy, and I was impatient, and I was frustrated, and I couldn't hide it, and I'm pretty sure I ruined Christmas for everybody. But on the drive home that year, we realized that our boundaries needed to change because our life had changed. Not just because we had a kid, but because I work in a church, and it's just too much to preach a bunch of Christmas Eve services and drive hundreds of miles with our kids. And so we had to create new boundaries, and now we spend our holidays with our kids, and that's it. If we have extra time, we see our parents. We'll spend it with our families, but a lot of times we don't have that extra time. And so sometimes we have family tension because we don't have any boundaries at all, but sometimes we have family tension because we set boundaries 10 years ago and our life has changed. And so we need to evaluate them. We need to change them as well. So when it comes to boundaries, we need to put in the work. So healthy boundaries protect us from pain. Healthy boundaries show us what we value. Healthy boundaries take work. These are three incredibly practical things that if you actually put into practice right now, your holidays will be better this year, right? That's wisdom that all of us can take home. But there's one more thing that Paul writes about that I want to point out. It's at the end of verse 17. So let's read that again. Ephesians 5, 17, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's the last thing. Healthy boundaries start with Jesus. Paul finishes verse 17 by saying, understand what the Lord wants you to do. And what does he ultimately want us to do? He wants us to trust and follow him. And so Paul ultimately says in these verses, if you want to live like the wise, if you want to make the most of your days, if you want to be careful and thoughtful, the way that you do that is through faith in Jesus. Because following him changes the way you live. 
It changes the way you think. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes what you value. It gives you confidence. It gives you hope. It gives you peace. It gives you a higher purpose. This is the boundary to end all boundaries. And so I just want to finish with this, and, and then you can go uh, get your candy and pet a goat. Uh, for some of you, setting boundaries with your family will be a lot easier this holiday because you follow Jesus and because you are reading scripture daily, right? because you're reading this wisdom and you're reading how to deal with difficult situations and you're reading what does it look like to live with grace and truth. And so when you build these boundaries, it's going to be a lot easier for you. But for some of you, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be a difficult task for you to do. You can do it, but this is going to be really difficult because what you're trying to do is what you think your parents want you to do. Right? What you're trying to do is what your family wants you to do. Or it's what you think your friends want you to do. Ultimately, you're searching for health and growth and life in the wrong places. And that leads to frustration and pain. And because of that, setting up boundaries will be harder than it needs to be. And so although we talked about the super practical thing today, and these will help your family. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not. You put this into practice, this will help your family. The thing that will help you the most is realigning your life away from those other things and onto Jesus. The thing that will help the most when it comes to your family and their dysfunction this holiday is putting your faith in him. It's trusting him. It's choosing his way because his way is better and it's healthier and it's more fulfilling and it's more peaceful. And ultimately, at the end of the day, isn't that what we want for our families? A healthier, more loving, more kind, more thoughtful family. But the root of that and the start of that has to come with Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we begin this series, as we begin to wrestle with this idea of family. It brings all these emotions. It brings all these thoughts. Um, it brings frustration, and it brings joy. It brings excitement. It, um, it brings fear uh, as we try to navigate this upcoming holiday season. And so, God, um, I just pray as, as we uh, begin to dig through this book of Ephesians and begin to look at um, how do we handle our, our family dysfunction, God, I pray that your wisdom and your word um, leads us to a healthier place. God, we know that we can't change our family, um, but we know that we can change ourselves. And so, so God, I pray that over the next four weeks, as, as we really dig in, we begin to change the things in our life that will lead just to better holidays and really more peace and more joy and less stress, um, more happiness and, and this wonderful time of the year. And God, as we, we wrestle with this idea of boundaries this week, um, give us the confidence and the courage to set them. Um, give us the time to talk about them with our spouse or with our family. Help us be clear about them. Um, but ultimately, God, help us recognize that uh, the root of all the goodness that we're searching for is you. God, we can put these boundaries in our life, and it will make things easier. Um, but it won't be as fulfilling as if, as if we start with you and let you be the center and the foundation uh, and the root of who we are as a person and what we're trying to do in our lives and in our family. So God, help us take a step toward that this week. God, we thank you for this wisdom. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.